0: Hey, this is Youth Movement Podcast. Just relax, as the message will start in a moment. Come on, so good. Um, I'm going to keep this quick because I... Oh. Hmm. Put your hand up here if you have a job. Potentially. Okay. Okay. So don't have a job. Don't have a job. It's about 50 to 60% of this room has a job. Okay, put your hand up if you don't have a job. Nah, I'm joking. That's fine. Um, well, put your hand up here if you get pocket money. We all have finance coming into our lives, right? Who, who here believes that God is the number one thing in their life? He's the most important. He is, the, he is everything. Who believes that they own their finances? I think um, when it comes to giving, there's, there's a practical side of it in the sense that you giving here helps us make youth better. It helps support youth. It means we can do more things and we can buy more things and we can make it more fun for you guys practically. But there's also such a spiritual element of giving in which when you give your first fruit, you're actually putting steps to your faith And your belief that God is the number one and that He owns your finances. Um, I love this quote by Carl that if you can't give it away, then you must have never really had it at all. Um, I think there's something so powerful that when we put God first in our finances and we just put money away as our first fruit for Him. Um, There's a pastor out in America and he... In one of his podcasts, he said this thing that really kind of stood out to me, but it was basically like he treats his finances just for his church and for his personal finances like um, he, he looks at it like until he's given God his first fruit, which is just like say you get a paycheck, like your first bank transfer or the first amount of money you spend on. Until he's given that to God, he almost he put he, he acts like his accounts are frozen. Him and his wife like freeze their accounts. Like They can't make any transactions. They can't buy anything until they've first given to God. And it's just their way of saying to God, Hey, you're number one in our finances. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to give to you. We're going to give back because we recognize that this is not our own. And if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be able to have this. So I think as youth, as young people who are learning how to steward our finances and are learning about how to handle money, I think getting this number one is super important and it can actually set us up to success in the future because budgeting is great, financial plans are great, but at the end of the day, if you have to handle everything in your own control and in your own grace, then you have to sustain that. Um, And I believe the provision of God it's better than any paycheck I'll ever get. The provision of God is what I need. I don't need a job. I don't, I need the provision of God. So I want to let that grace flow into my life by by giving to God and being stewarding my finances as well. So as young people, I just encourage you guys to start taking steps, like whether it's $2, whether it's $5, whether it's $10, whether it's $0.05, cents, $0.50, cents, no matter how small it is, practice that habit of giving. Of being intentional. When you come to Saturday night, you might only get ten dollars a week to say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna put aside a dollar. And I'm gonna give it to youth. Just to pra- just to instill that habit into myself because that might be one dollar now now, but ten years later it could be a thousand. You know what I mean? Practice makes perfect. Come on. Do we wanna hand those buckets around, guys? Around. Cool, cool, cool. Come on. My first time speaking back since we got married. Wow. First time speaking back since we got married. I just want to say I love my wife. She is the best. Can we just give her a clap? She's just awesome. I swear, like, she, she. I think, oh, before we got married, she started, she came into, like, she started coming to Tuesday staff meetings and, like, was around the office a bit. And I swear everyone's just nicer to me when Emmy's next to me. Like, everyone just seems to be, like, way more cool, way more nice, actually wants to talk to me. Everyone's like, oh, hi, Matt, when I'm with Emmy. But then when I'm not, they're just like, mm, to me. Um, yep, there's a couple vibes. Um, sorry. Literally, I, I, honestly, it's, it's real. I'm not perceiving it. It's real. It's real. But yeah, it's been it's been awesome. I think um, it, it's it's been cool having to having our own house and. Um, but do, does everyone here do chores? Sometimes, okay, alrighty. I think um, I remember being at home and like I had chores, but when you own when you have your own place, it's like a whole new level because you can like. You can leave your... Like at the end of the day, you guys don't think, oh, I need to shut the doors. I need to lock everything. I need to make sure everything's clean. You know, you kind of... You have your responsibilities um, that are yours, but in regards to the overall household, um, you don't really think about that, right? So when we got married, it was like... And I had this whole new place. That kind of threw me and threw Emmy for a bit. We were like, oh, I feel like there's so much to think about. Like, oh, we're freaking out. But we were kind of like... Oh, we'll just, we'll just go through the house. We'll just do our thing. We'll just love each other well and kind of work it out on the way um, in regards to like chores um, and actually having like a routine about it. So, um, yeah, like it did work. We were like, yeah, like we found it solid and um, we kind of came to this conclusion about um, what chores we were going to do because I seriously hate doing the bathrooms. I think they're gross. Like, like I think just they're gross, but Emmy hates taking out the bins, right? So we come, like, I don't wanna do the bathrooms. Like people are naked in there, people poo, they pee, like, ugh, like it's just gross. Like, Emmy's hair goes everywhere. Like, it's just like, it's, gr- I don't like it. It's rank. I think it's not, nah. but I don't mind taking out the bins, but Emmy hates taking out the bins. I don't know why, are you scared of the dark? Right. There we go. So she doesn't like going outside in her pajamas whereas I'm chill. Actually, quick story. I went out in my nightgown. Okay, there's Jehovah's Witnesses that live like right next to us and there's a back thing and I went out, I was like, "Oh, I'm just going to take out the rubbish bins in my nightgown, like my Peter Alexander one." And um and I've like <laughs> So I've like got my oh, like I slides on. I'm like and I go out in the back and they're just like standing there <laughs> and I'm like Hello. <laughs> and like, hey, and I'm like, take in my bin. It was like really awkward, but but I feel like I won on that trade. So, Emmy has to clean two bathrooms, and I just have to take out the bins once a week. Yeah. But, let me tell my point. Um so I feel like I won on that trade off. Right? But anyway, so I'm like, I clean the kitchen. That's my thing. Because Emmy's like, she loves cleanliness. I just like order. So I'm OCD about order. So I like things being in order. Like if you've ever driven with me, you'll see like perfect, perfect example. Like, like if anyone's driven with me, you'll notice I have like a part on the car where I put my phone. And if it's if it's like diagonal a bit, I'll straighten it up just because I'm like OCD. I just want order Whereas, whereas I don't really care about cleanliness. I don't care. Like I don't. I'm not. I don't pick up things and clean under. I've been not doing that my whole life. Um, <laughs> but Emmy loves cleanliness, so she noticed that I don't clean that well. But I put things in order well. Um, but anyway, so we've had to, we've had to work out over a series of time that the mission of keeping our house clean and our house in order um, is really important. Um, but. Anyway, we got, I think that was this week, right? So I took the bins out this week and I forgot to I w- I forgot to bring them in. And I walked into our bedroom and uh, I was like, I walked in and she was, and Emmy's like, you know, when you take out the bins, you actually are meant to take them back in. And I, Two days later, <laughs> it's like, you know, when you take out the bins, you're actually meant to take them back in. And I was like, oh, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'll go do it now. So, and she's like, I already did it. And I was like, and I was like, I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, well, looks like you're doing the bathrooms this week. (laughs) And I was like, and I was just like, like my first reaction was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing the bathrooms. I hate the bathrooms. I'm not doing the bathrooms. I'm not doing the bathrooms. And I was like, oh, like that's two bathrooms that I have to do simply because I just didn't flip and think. It was like, it's like in my head, I'm like, it's an hour doing the bathrooms. And what I could have done to not do the bathrooms was literally 30 seconds. Like, and I hate bathrooms. So I'm like, so I was kind of like, no, I don't want to do them. Like, why do I have to do them? And then, um, and I kind of like walked out and then God, the Holy Spirit was like, Matt, just love your wife. And I was like, fine. I love my wife. It's like, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do it. So I was like, so I walked back and I was like, okay, I'll do the bathrooms. Um, But in that, obviously, we have this overall mission. We want to keep our house clean. We want to keep keep it in order. But something happened along the way where it didn't look how I wanted it to look. But I just had to obey the Holy Spirit and focus on loving my wife rather than being right. See, I believe as as a youth ministry and as a youth movement, and even as a church, um, we have a mission, right? See, our mission is to reach the lost. Our mission is to reconcile lost sons and daughters back to their Savior, Jesus, back to relationship with God, right? That's our mission. That's our commission. That's what Jesus has put us on this planet to do, right? But I believe that even though that's our mission, it happens in the context of family. It's carried out through family. Because I think even our mission is to reach the lost. Our mission is to bring lost sons and daughters back into relationship. However, it's carried out through the context of us being a family and actually walking in community. Right? I've got two scriptures that I believe will showcase this to you guys. So both of them come out of John. You probably know them. They're, they're talked about a lot. But John 13:35 says, "By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." I repeat that. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Another one is John 15:13. It says, "Greater love has no one than this than someone that someone lay down his life for his friends." So um, I, John is talking to Christians in this, in this passage. He's talking to Christians. I checked that. But I find it interesting that, I don't find it interesting. I love that it says the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. It says I will know, you, the world will know, they'll be convinced that you are followers of God because you love one another. Emmy and I, before we got married, we had an engagement party and we probably had around an 80%, 20% split. 80% were Christian friends, either from Glory City, youth or other churches and about 20% were non-Christians. Either, I think I had like 10 work friends from Macca's where I used to work and Emmy had, did you have, did you have any friends? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. (laughs) You know what I mean, right? Did you have any work friends from secular work? I mean, no? Yeah, they, they didn't come. Bad the wedding. Okay. So I had about ten work friends from Maccas there and right at the end of the night, um, a young a younger guy, he, I think he's like 16 or 17, um, he was just chatting to me at the end and he was he was just like he he kinda was like staring at everyone. He was really like tripped out and he was like, man, I just think like this is really, really cool. Like the community. Well he would he didn't even say community. He didn't even he didn't even have language for it. He was actually so confused. He didn't even have language for it. He was like, this is just really awesome. Like everyone here. And I was like, he's like, and I was like, yeah, like, you know, this this is my community. This is like my family. He's like, yeah, he like, it's like such an awesome community. And uh, at that point, I was like, hey bro, by the way, the sign-up fee is 50 bucks to get into our Christian country club. In this club, you're a glorified click member. And yeah, it's really awesome. I'll give you the forms later. I didn't say that because <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, but I think sometimes we actually have that approach like in our actions. It's like, oh yeah, bro, this is my family. You're so awesome. Come to church next week. No, I actually said, hey, bro, like, yeah, it's awesome because we actually know God's love for us. Like I said, Yeah, my community is great and I love this family. But what you're actually sensing is the Holy Spirit. You're sensing the love of God. I said, that's the only thing that distinctifies us from the world. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Distinctifies. But I said to him, like, I said, like, I was just like, yeah, like, it's... I said, the only reason we can love each other the way we can is because we know God's love for us. I said... This is just a reflection of who God is and his love for humanity. I actually just got to point him to Jesus and sow seeds into his belief and faith in God. See, we have a mission to reach lost people who don't know Jesus, but it comes in the context of family. And we are called to use family as something that points to Christ and actually reflects his relationship and his love on earth. You feel me? Alright, open up your scripture to Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 to 9. Okay, we're not doing that anymore. Now when, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm, there's some whack names in here. So I'm just going to say S. Like I'm just going to say the first letter for the name. Because I, no, like I've tried. I've, no, like I've literally tried. There's so many names that. You guys are just going to get distracted. No. Now, when S heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Amnonite. Amna Tobiah, the A, was beside him. And he said, yes, they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when S and T and the A and the A and the A heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night." Alrighty, let's chat context. So Nehemiah, he was a tremendous leader. He was a tremendous leader and God used him to pull a phenomenal act of this wall that was rebuilt in Jerusalem. So this wall was destroyed years before. And what it did was it left Jerusalem open to heaps of attacks from the enemy. So Nehemiah's job was to to rebuild this wall. But the problem was that um, it had been burned down. And these rocks weren't, it wasn't like an easy task. Like it wasn't like this rock. The rocks that they were using to rebuild this thing were like from here to here and were this wide. It wasn't easy. These rocks were literally so burned that the builders were literally saying they were too fragile to be put in this wall. So, it was an extremely hard thing to do. Hence why it, they were so feeling so disappointed and so upset and why it took them, well, it actually took them quite quickly. It only took them 52 days to do it. But it was a hard task. It was a hard feat at that. I want to use this piece of scripture as um, something we can extract some principles out of. Because I want to reinforce again that as a youth movement, as a youth ministry, as as people who are followers of God, as sons and daughters, we have a mission that is illustrating the word that is given to us by Jesus to bring captives home, to reach the world, to To save people, like we're not called just to this little building. We're not called to just be a holy huddle. We literally have a mission that Jesus has given us to reach the world. However, I so believe that it comes and is carried through the context of Kingdom Family. I so believe it. I so believe it. Because there has to be a healthy balance between the two. We can't be so focused on reaching a world that we forget to look after our very own. And we can't be so focused on looking after our very own that we forget that there's a world that's lost and needs a savior. So we have to find a healthy balance as not just, as not just a community, but as a body of Christ. And I think that's been the tension a lot is people go hard one way or hard the other way, but we have to find a middle. It's healthy. It's appropriate. It's the right thing to do. So what I want to do is I want to use this scripture and I want to extract some principles that I believe we can put into our community and we can carry in our hearts that will help us have a balance for both. Sound good? All right. So the first one is that And I've said this numerous times. I say this to our team all the time. It's that unity and family commands a blessing. Say, unity and family commands a blessing. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a good experience or good feeling. It is literally the design and the plan of God. Unity. Before the ages of time, before this world was even created, God was a family. He was a father. He was a son. He was a Holy Spirit. Before we even came along, before you were created, God operated in a family. He didn't operate independently. Psalm 133 says that, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For it is where the blessing of God dwells. Brethren means the body of Christ. means us. David's saying that God sees what we're doing right now as good and pleasing. He's literally looking at what we're doing and he's saying that is good and that is pleasing. The way he says it makes me think of like when you have a massive meal and you just finish like, Oh, that was so good. It's like God sees what we're doing as good and pleasing. And he says, For there a blessing dwells. The blessing of God, the touch of God, the favor of God, the grace of God. It's commanded when we gather. When we're together. When we're in unity. I want to bring a little story out of uh, Genesis 11.5. This is a story of the Tower of Babel. Who's familiar with it? So this is... (laughs) This is um, before before God had given everyone different languages. So everyone had the same language. They knew they talked the same. They sounded the same. And they decided, hey, we're going to build a tower so tall that it reaches the heavens. And God was like, oh, no. He was like, he said this. He said, but the Lord came down to see the city. And the tower the people were building, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. See, it's unity. They were unified. They had the same sound. They had the same language. They had the same mind, and they had one goal. They were so unified that God was like, "Whoa, nothing is impossible for this people." And we sometimes preach that as a the story is a bad thing. But if if these people could unify under that, imagine what we can do when we unify under God, as a body of Christ. When we're unified under God, when we when we speak the same, when we talk the same, when we have the same mind. And we carry the same heart in unity. I think God could do some amazing things. But I want to touch back to the part in Nehemiah, because we're basing off this story. I just wanted to use some scriptures there to explain my point. But I go back here. So it says, now when, I'm going to say the name now, (laughs) Sanballat heard that we were building the wall. He was angry and greatly enraged. I want, you to, I want you to close your eyes and I want to paint a picture to you. I want to paint a picture of, of us together crying out to the Lord, worshipping His name, declaring His goodness, declaring His realness, His sovereignty, His authority. And I want you to imagine the devil when he hears us, when he hears us proclaiming God's goodness and His glory in unity. See, when Saint when S heard that the that they were building the wall, he was angry and he was greatly enraged. I think, at the body of Christ, we ought to understand, and we need to understand that when we gather, when We sing a song when we worship the King of Kings, when we get into his word, when we gather, it makes the devil mad. It makes him enraged. It makes him annoyed. It makes him second guess himself. It makes him think, oh no, they're gathering again? They're singing the name of Jesus again? I've got to do something about this. I've got to do something about this. There is something significant that happens when we gather, guys. That it shakes the gates of hell. That it breaks a yoke. That it literally stops plans of the enemy happening. When we gather, there's a a unity and there's an anointing that comes. See... My second point is this, that the devil has one game plan. Who believes here the devil is defeated? The devil is defeated. The devil is a liar. The devil is a jerk. The only thing he can do is lie. He's under your foot. He has literally got no power over you. He can lie to you. He can even bring a thought. He can make you feel a certain way. But all he can do is lie. The only power... The devil has over you is the power you give to him. The only authority he'll ever give to you is the authority you give to him. It says in this word that he is literally being kicked out. He he's being cast. He is under our foot. He is like a little ant that we step on. He actually has no authority, has no ground. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to articulate the plan of the enemy in some simple steps. Because I believe it's going to help some of us tonight. And I think it helps every young person here. Because put your hand up here if you get tempted. All of us, Jesus was tempted, right? It's a real thing. We live in a broken world. Thank God we have a new nature in Christ. Come on. So, <laughs> so I want to break down the game plan of the enemy. And I'll show you how stupid it is. So, step one. He's going to lie to you, right? He's going to lie to you. He's going to tell you a lie. He's going to whisper you in your ear. And he's hopefully going to tell you that lie and deceive you into stepping in sin, right? Now, I want to clarify something real quick. You receiving a lie is not sin. Some people need to hear this tonight. I really feel God on it. You receiving a lie in your head is not you sinning it is not you sinning it says in the word that when you sin it it literally it gives the analogy of a baby being born so when you partner with a lie and you let your actions line up with that lie that is when you give birth to sin so if you get a lie in your head if you get a lie you've got to watch porn You need to watch porn or even get a feeling of attraction. You're not a sinner. You're not a sinner. You're not a sinner. I'm going to tell you that again. You're not a sinner if you get a lie that says you you think that girl's attractive and you want to sleep with her or you think that guy's attractive. You're not a sinner. You're a saint because that's step number one. The only thing the devil can do is whisper and lie to you and say that you that you're going to do that. That's the only thing you can do. Step 1. So, if he deceives you into sin, step 2, he's going to make you feel guilty and shameful. He's going to pour he's he's going to condemn you with guilt, he's going to condemn you with shame because you did that sin. He's going to say you're you're stupid, you're nothing because you did that sin. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to hope that If he can give you enough guilt and shame, it's going to stop you from actually talking to someone about it. Because you're going to start, like, I did this and I watched porn today. Oh, Oh, I don't want to tell anyone. They're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think I'm a sinner. They're going to think that, oh, I said to them last week, I wouldn't do it. And now I'm doing it again. Or, oh, He's going to get you to think going to get you to feel guilty and try and stop you and dislodge you from talking to someone in community and in family. And then what that's going to do is it's going to keep what you're going through in the dark. And who knows that nothing good happens in the dark? It li- <laughs> Except sleeping. It literally, that's, that's a word. <laughs> it, it literally, if, if it's kept in the dark, it grows and it keeps you in bondage. Right? So he's gonna, and then what he's gonna hope that you do after that, he's gonna hope that you start to take yourself away from community. He's gonna start to hope that you dislodge yourself from community. I'm gonna hit you a straight point. Um, right now, I don't think this always happens, but usually if someone's sleeping with another person in the church, you can know because they leave the church. to be honest with you guys, that's what happens. The devil's game plan is to get you out of community. He's to get you out of the family of God because he knows that if you don't have that, you can't expose lies. You can't expose it. I'm going to, I literally live this out. Seriously. I live this out. I'm vigilant. Why? Because I'm a young leader because I'm a young leader and I love you guys, but I live this out to the point that I have a like a ridiculous conviction. Like Emmy can tell you about this. Like if I'm experiencing any temptation, whether it's an insecurity, whether it's a feeling, whether it's a lie, whatever it is, I have this conviction that as soon as I feel that, as soon as I've I firstly, I go to God and I process it with God. But if I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere, if it stays, if it keeps going, what I do is I'm I'm vigilant. I will talk to either my one of my mentors, either Mark or Dylan, and I'll just unpack it with them. No matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how annoying it feels, no matter how much shame or guilt or whatever that I'm feeling, I'll unpack it with them because I know they don't even have the answers for me sometimes. Literally, I'll sit there and I'll just go blub blah 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 and Mark will go. Or Dylan will go. And then I'll go, yep, that's it. I literally feel it gone. Seriously. I literally had to do it this week. I was so, I was struggling with temptation and lies. It was keeping me from sleeping at night. It was really intense. I had to process it with Mark and to the point that I th- it was so bad that I thought I really needed like deliverance. And <laughs> and then got... But like as soon as I talked to him, I literally felt this weight lift off my shoulders. It was like whatever lie the enemy had me under, as soon as I exposed it and brought it into the light, all its powers left. Whatever, whatever powers it had, whatever was going on inside my head, whatever I was believing was gone. See, there's a, something that happens when you expose things to the light. So young people, if we're going to walk out family well, if we're truly going to be living holy lives and living beyond reproach lives, yes, we have a new nature, 100%. But it's also going to take everyone here to live an open life. It's going to take everyone here being vigilant about exposing lives that they're experiencing because the devil wants to attack it. All right. So, cool. I'm going to finish in five minutes. Um, so, this is my last point. I'm going through this a bit quick. Sorry, guys. Um, so, I want to bring some further contact context into Nehemiah. So, later in the chapter, um, so obviously this king finds out that um, they're rebuilding... Re- rebuilding rebuilding the wall, so he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack them. So what Nehemiah does to go against the attack is he puts watchmen in front, armed to protect everyone that's building. But what he also does is he grabs the builders and he puts a brick in their left hand and a, a sword in the other. So what they can do is they can build with their left hand but they can also fight with their right hand, right? So I want to link point one and two together because I think there's a really powerful analogy in this because I want us and I desire us to be a family and a community that, that walks out this, this life with a brick in one hand and a sword in the other with a brick in one hand and a sword in the other because there's something there's a mission that we have and our mission is to reach the lost our mission is to have this place packed to have our uh, connect groups packed to have testimony upon testimony upon testimony about how we are reaching out to the world and bringing them home and helping them experience a relationship with God that is our mission that is what we have in our left hand that is what we're building with However, we've also got to fight for each other with the sword in our right hand because it's by our love for one another that the world will know we are its disciples and I also want to finish on this point and reinforce what I've said is I also think it's crucial that we have a sword in our right hand not to fight against one another but to fight for one another because i'm going to i'm going to lay out a truth on you that right now your fight is not against anyone in this room your fight is against powers and principalities and demons and the devil that's what it's against and i don't know where you're at with your faith with god but the devil is real and he has powers that are real and your fight isn't against anyone in this room Your fight is against that. So don't use your sword to chop another person down. Use your sword to chop the demon down. That might have a hold of them. So whether you're feeling offended with someone, whether you're feeling left out, whether you're feeling not included, whatever you're feeling, your fight is against the people. Your fight is against the devil because the truth is you're a son and you're a daughter. So I just urge us, have a... Brick in one hand. Let's build this thing. Let's do this thing together. Let's reach our worlds. Let's like, man, in six months, let's have all these rows filled. Let's do it. Why can't we? What's stopping you? We have a mission to reach the world. Glory City Youth Movement is not just a youth group. We are a movement. You guys are the movement. Okay? Let's fight for each other. Let's look after one another. Thank you for listening to Youth Movement Podcasts. If you want to find out more about us, head to our profile, or you can go through our playlist and listen to more podcasts just like this.